Welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. Whether you have a great marriage or one that needs improvement, this is the show for you. Since 1994, we've used biblical principles to help hundreds of couples, just like you, find relationship success. As you listen, you'll get practical tips, knowledge, and motivation that will help bring greater intimacy and happiness to your marriage so that you can enjoy the relationship you've dreamed of. And now, this is Marriage by the Book. How many of you, like me, think the world's a little crazy right now? I mean, we've got this war in Ukraine and all the different concerns that revolve around that. We've got men competing in women's sports and we've got just continuing concerns about the coronavirus and vaccines and travel and just all this kind of stuff that's going on and it's just interesting and i was thinking about this and i really believe that um, we married people can make an impact on what's going on in the world today and what i mean is this i actually sent out an email last week if you're on our email list you would have gotten it but anyway, I sent an email out last week saying, you know, the world is crazy. Why? And I really believe that the world's crazy because, and crazy is maybe a little bit of a strong word, but I was just trying to make a point. But the world's crazy because nations are crazy. And nations are crazy because societies are crazy. And societies are crazy because so many families are just crazy, for lack of a better word, kind of, you know, just tore up and pulled in different directions and, and not, not maybe dysfunctional is the right word there. And then families are like that, so many of them, because so many marriages are dysfunctional as well. And then why are marriages uh, in the state they're in? I really believe it comes back to people's relationship with God, okay? And um, that's where the rubber meets the road right there. If we don't have a good relationship with God, it's going to be hard to have a good marriage. He's the creator of marriage. He knows how it works. And that's what, you know, here at Marriage by the Book, this is what we talk about. We talk about, really what we do is we disciple people. It's not so much even counseling, it's discipling. We really need discipling. That's not a very popular word for a lot of people. People want to be counseled and not discipled. But, um, um, and there are aspects of counseling that come with discipling. But discipling is basically telling people, you know, what the word, the Bible says about a particular topic and then expecting them or maybe holding them accountable in some way to do that. And, and that's what works in people's lives. And when Rebecca and I, when we do marriage counseling or discipling with a couple, uh, what we do is we, we teach them what the Bible says. And that's what I've been doing for several weeks now. Started off with the problem. I mean, I've actually been going through um, the different sessions that Rebecca and I will take a couple through. And on a podcast like this, it maybe takes three or four to complete what we would cover in one session. It takes three or four podcasts to complete what we would do in one session. But um, anyway, that's what I've been doing. And you know, the first thing we'll talk about is the problem in relationships, which is just plain old self-centeredness. Then we talk about the answer which is God's love. And then we talk about forgiveness and repentance, which I just finished up last week. And um, then we, you know, as we go through each session, we give people homework. And by homework, what I mean is we tell them, okay, this is what the Bible says about self-centeredness, about the love of God, about forgiving, about repenting. So we actually assign them to go and do that homework. That's not tremendous. It may be take them an hour during their week or something to do that. 
But the point is you want to get people to begin to take the word and make it part of their life. That's where uh, the change happens. And and I think I mentioned this before, but in doing that, when we work with a couple, we, we can get both people to do what the Bible says. We've seen 100% success in their relationships. The only time we see failure is when somebody doesn't do it or refuses to do it. We've had people tell us, I'm not going to do this. And there's nothing really you can do to help people when they just say they're not going to do what the Bible says. But, you know, that a lot of what we talk about, especially those first few sessions about self-centeredness being problem, the problem, and then the love of God being the answer and forgiveness and repentance. I mean, those are just foundational biblical things that really have to do with our relationship with God and us as an individual. And then when we come to what we'll be talking about today, which is intimacy, um, people are prepared to come back together. You know, we see self-centeredness is the problem. It builds walls between us. We see, see love. Love's a, you know, self-centeredness is a dividing force. Love, God's love particularly, is an attractive force. People want to come back together. So then forgiveness and repentance remove the walls that self-centeredness built between us. And then we come to, okay, now the walls are down. We've got this attractive force in place. So now what do we do? Then we get into intimacy, coming together as a couple. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And again, if we can heal us as individuals heal our marriages. And I know not every marriage out there, just because you're listening to this doesn't mean you have problems in your relationship, and I don't think that. But uh, we can always grow in our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse. And as we do those things, it's going to do a lot uh, to help families as a whole. It's going to do a lot, and that'll help society, that'll help nations, that'll help the world. So your marriage is important. It really is. So let's stop talking about that and talk a little bit about intimacy you know intimacy <clears throat> when people hear hear intimacy a lot of times they think sex and sex the physical relationship certainly is a part of intimacy but it's just it's just a part okay intimacy goes way beyond sex okay um so let me define what the word intimate means so here's a definition uh, it means belonging to or characterizing one's deepest nature marked by very close association, contact, or familiarity, marked by a warm friendship developing through long association, suggesting informal warmth or, pri- warmth or privacy uh, of a very personal or private nature. You know, to be intimate with someone me- means to really know them and like them and love them as a result of knowing them and being committed to them, Okay. And so that's intimate, okay? And sex, like I said, is just a part of that. Intimate goes way beyond to, to know someone, to know their thoughts, how they feel, to and to really just enjoy getting to know them more. That's an awesome thing. And it's a it's a continual thing. Like Rebecca and I, I'm still growing and knowing her, okay? Um, I'm not all the way there yet, uh, but I'm doing a little better, I hope, every day. <clears throat> you know, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that's an example of a perfectly intimate relationship, okay? And even though they are three different persons or expressions, there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. John 10, 30, you know, tells us, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. They're, they're one, even though they're three different expressions of God, okay? And can we compare our relationship to their relationship? Well, just to answer that question, yes, we can. 
Okay, when when the Bible says a husband and wife are one, um, the word for one used there in the Greek is the same word for one used when Jesus said in John ten thirty, "I and the Father are one." So when God looks at us, He sees us as one, just like He sees Himself and Jesus and the Holy Spirit as one. Okay, that's an amazing thing to think about to me. It's kind of like a wow moment to think about that. But we can compare our relationship to their relationship. Listen to John 17, 21 uh, through 22. It says this, and this is when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was crucified, okay? And it says, um, he says that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me. Now, did you get that already? He says that they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. I have given to them the glory and honor which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's awesome. Now, he's talking here about the body of Christ, the church as a whole being one. How much more, then, in marriage should be we be one you know, Jesus said in John 19 that how from the beginning God created them male and female, that one flesh, you know. Anyway, it's so much more in marriage we should be one even than just the body of Christ as a whole. Um, and really, I believe that if we are one in our marriage and make that a goal, it ought to be our, a goal for us, you know, to be one in marriage. I think a lot of times, this is a little bit of a side note here, but I think a lot of times we come into marriage, and not you listening to this, I'm sure, but other people come into marriage and they're thinking, you know, how can I get my way in this relationship? This marriage is about me. And really we need to set that aside. That's selfish thinking, okay? We need to think like the love of God would have us think and think, you know, how can I be one with this person? How can I minister to them, serve them, be a blessing to them, okay? That's how we need to be thinking. How can we be one? We need to put it on the radar and make it a goal. Um, Okay, here's another scripture. This is Philippians 2, verses 2 through 4. And if you... Listen to what he's saying here. In verse 2, he tells people to get alone. And then in verse 3 and 4, he tells them how. Okay, now listen to this. Here's verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. When I read that, it looks to me like he's saying, I want you to get alone. Okay, again, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. I want you to get along with each other. And then in verses 3 and 4, which I'm going to read next, he tells them how. Now listen to this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. See, their self-centeredness is the problem. Then he goes on and says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So esteem the other person. Without saying it, that's really the love of God, to esteem others, to prefer others. Then in verse 4, he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So there again, I don't come into marriage just thinking about how can I get what I want. I think about how can I be a blessing to this person, look out for their interests, you know. How can we be one together? Anyway, a good relationship is one, an intimate relationship, let's put it that way, is one in which the people are, like it says here, are like-minded and love each other 
and are of one accord and one mind. And that's intimacy. That's getting to know that person and really know them, know their deepest nature. Um, having that closest association, that familiarity. And I don't mean familiarity in a bad way. I mean familiarity as in I know them, okay? So a good relationship is an other-centered relationship. You know, we talked about in the first few sessions there uh, how self-centeredness is the problem, and that is the problem in relationships, okay? Well, the opposite of that is other-centered, which God's love is other-centered. So a good relationship is really an other-centered relationship, one where I'm preferring the other person to myself, okay? And to be other-centered in my marriage, I need to know my spouse intimately, so I'm kind of laying the groundwork for intimacy here, that intimacy is more than just sex, that it's knowing that person, knowing their needs, their desires, their wants. What's your spouse's, and this is surface stuff, what's their favorite color? What's their favorite food? What's their favorite, uh, you know, do they prefer chocolate or vanilla? <laughs> I don't know, just everybody's spouse. What, what flower do they prefer, you know? Um, like, do they like roses, do they like daisies, do they like pink roses or red roses or whatever? I mean, just there's so many things that you could go to here. Um, but other-centeredness and intimacy go hand in hand. Uh, you know, minister, another way to say this would be ministering to them or serving them, loving them, being other-centered toward them. And intimacy, knowing them, those things go hand in hand. I can't be other-centered. I can't serve and minister to Rebecca unless I know what her needs and desires and wants and you know, how she how she thinks and feels, etc. Her preferences even. I can't be other-centered toward her and love her effectively unless I lo- know her intimately. So yeah, a lot of times in marriage, and I did this, that's how I know, but a lot of times in marriage, we try to be other-centered based on what we believe to be true or maybe what uh, commercials tell us on television, you know, rather than what we know about our spouse. Now, I just mentioned the pink and red roses a moment ago. There's a story Rebecca and I use sometimes when we're, we're ministering or teaching or doing conferences and things that, you know, Rebecca likes pink roses. And uh, at one point early on, I knew she liked pink roses, but I bought her red roses because a Hallmark card commercial told and nothing against Hallmark, but anyway, a Hallmark card commercial told me that red roses mean I love you. Well, that not to Rebecca, okay, because she likes pink, and I knew it, and she knew I knew it. So anyway, see, that's what I mean. That wasn't an intimate thing for me to do. That wasn't an other-centered thing for me to do. It was a nice thing, I suppose, to buy her roses, red roses, but it wasn't based on what I knew about her. It was based on a stereotype from a, a commercial I had seen. So the bottom line here is we need to know our spouse intimately and use that knowledge to be a blessing to them, okay, to serve them, okay? And a lot of times people don't like this word serve, but we've talked about this before, that really serving is where happiness is found. You know, Matthew ten thirty nine, Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's, it's when we lose ourselves God's way that we find our life. That's when we find satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. You know, the first part of that verse says, he who finds his life will lose it. If I go around just doing things my way and demanding my way all the time, I'm leaving, living an empty, dead, joyless life. Okay, that's what it amounts to. So really, the, the happiness and joy are found in serving, being a blessing to the other person.
So, you know, we need to love our spouse, you could put it this way, God's way. We need to love them God's way. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. So we ought to love each other, especially our spouse. We need to love them God's way. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, we're fully known by God. God can love you perfectly because he fully knows you. Now, he has an advantage over us. He's all-knowing, okay? So I have to learn some things about Rebecca because I'm not all-knowing. So by, not by a long shot. So I need to get to know her. But again, because God fully knows us, he can love us perfectly. God can love you perfectly. So if I'm going to do what Jesus said and love one another as I have loved you as he has loved us, I need if I'm going to love Rebecca that way, I need to know her. We need to know our spouse intimately. So how do we get to know each other intimately? What are some things that we can do? That's what I want to talk about in these other sessions. I'm going to wrap this one up, but talk about in the other sessions that, that are coming up on this topic. But I want you to take a moment. Do this in closing today. Consider times in the past when you felt the most intimate or closest to your spouse. What were the characteristics of those times? Think about this. Were you alone together? Were you maybe away somewhere, away from the distractions of the normal everyday stuff? Think about that. Give that some thought. Think about those things. And until next time, God bless you. God bless your marriage. You know, God is for you. He wants you to succeed in your marriage. He wants you to succeed in your family. He wants you to succeed in life. He wants our societies and nations and our world to succeed. He's for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's what John 3, 16 says. So he's in it on our side. And uh, anyhow, until next time, have a great one. We hope you enjoyed today's Marriage by the Book podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and hit the subscribe button. For additional resources or to go deeper, visit marriagebythebook.org. See you next time.